What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Normal Guy Lazy Eye Podcast presented by House Enterprise. As always, I'm your host, Jared Magazine, just your neighborly normal guy with a lazy eye here connecting with incredible people who have unbelievable stories to tell. Today, we have a one-of-a-kind guest. Jordan Tarver joins the show. Jordan is the author of You Deserve This Shit, How to Become Unstuck, uh, Find Your Path, and Become the Best Version of Yourself. I was so excited to have Jordan on because I I love I do love interviewing authors. I think they have such a cool perspective to share. Um, but I just there was something that I really uh, clicked with Jordan's story, so I was so excited to have him on to share it a little bit more. We really did dive deep into some of the kind of the subtopics of his book: how to get unstuck, how to find your path, and how to become the best version of yourself. Uh, it's a very, very heartfelt interview. Uh, we talk about his uh, his life-threatening event that happened when he was a sophomore in college. We talk about you know some of the things that I would like to change here in the new year. It's obviously a great episode to kick off 2022. Um, so without further ado, I'm very, very excited to share with you the one and only Jordan Tarver. This is the Normal Guy Lazy Eye Podcast, a true eye-opening experience. Well, everyone, joining the show today is a -a one-of-a-kind guest. Jordan Tarver is the author of You Deserve This Shit, Get Unstuck, Find Your Path, and Become the Best Version of Yourself. On the other side, he also happens to be a world traveler, photographer, and editor for Forbes. He's here to tell us his story, Jordan Tarver. Jordan, thank you so much for coming on, man. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. This is uh first podcast of 2022. So um, I'm excited to be back on the mic and um, yeah, just grateful that, you know, you have this platform for people like me to come on and hopefully share some value with your community and, and help, you know, change some people's lives. And what a better time than, you know, the first couple, I guess, days of the, of the yeah. year to do something like this. So yeah, we're still um, technically in that first week, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. The, the other day I, I, I wrote, not that it was 2021, but I wrote that it was December. And so like, you know, my, my brain is still trying to figure out what year we're in. I hear you. I remember the days of like school when you come back from break and you know, you're supposed to write the date on your paper. and It's always the wrong date. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Finding a way to fix the zero to turn into a one or yeah. a one to look like a two. Exactly. <laughs> Ter- terrible situation for um, a perfectionist. Exactly. Like a whole new paper. I need a whole new yeah. paper. <laughs> so the book came out in May of 2021. How did yeah. your year wrap up? How how are you feeling going into this new year here in 2022? I feel optimistic. I feel, so like you said, my book came out earlier and, and I guess midway through 2021. Um, the, the initial launch was really great. A lot of really good feedback and just, um, yeah, I guess f- feedback from my community and then also like other readers that have picked up the book. Um, and then you know, kind of things slowed down a little bit. And I was just reminding myself, like the book process is really, it's a marathon, not a sprint, um, which you just, that's something you need to grasp as an author. Of course you want it to be like, Oh, like all the success right in the beginning, but I actually saw the most success in the last couple of weeks. Um, and that's, what's giving me the optimism is because I kind of had a surge that has just kind of boosted the morale around the book and what I can do with it in 2022. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I'm right now just very excited for the next 12 months. Do you think, because the premise of the book 
right? It, it, it's definitely like life lessons, something that you can like self-improvement, right? Obviously yeah. like finding your path. Do you think like, obviously we get to this time of year or earlier in the, in the last month, like where everyone's mm-hmm. trying to come up with new year's resolutions, trying yeah. to figure out like, what can I do to better myself in the, in the upcoming year? Like, do you think that's where that kind of surge kind of came from? Yeah, I feel, I feel like January Oh, and December because the holidays, but people right. are also thinking of January, but it's got to be the hottest time to buy a self-help book. Um, it's got to be, th- you know, the time where the most amount of people are excited about changing their lives, which mm-hmm. I think is a great thing. Um, and so, yeah, I do think that's where a lot of that came from. Um, and I think it's, you know, like you said, the premise of my book is to really help people gain a, a better grasp of their own life in a way that helps them understand what path they belong on um, mm-hmm. and how to take action to become a better person um, or a better version of themselves. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I think, you know, people are gravitating toward wanting to become, become a better person in 2022. And that's in the tagline of my book. And, you know, the cover is very catchy with the title being you deserve this shit. So, you know, all things added up very well. And I think, um, yeah, I'm excited to help the people that have purchased the copy and the people that will, you know, buy copies in the future as well. Absolutely. So we'll, we'll obviously dive into all things about you deserve this shit um, later on in the episode. I do want to start, we have a saying on this show, every story has a beginning, how mm-hmm. fitting for, you know, as an author yourself, like, yeah. so I want to start at your beginning. You grew up in a small town in Sonoma County, California, youngest of, of, uh, four, four. That's right. Yeah. I was, I was going to say six, but then you said it's a family of six. So family gonna, of six. Yeah. Quick math is not my strong suit. <laughs> But so, you know, two older brothers, one older sister, what was life like in the Tarver household, having that like small town in a larger family kind of aspect? Uh, the Tarvers are loud, put it that way. Um, <laughs> come from a very loud family and you can imagine six people in the house, it's going to get a little bit rowdy. Right. Um, but yeah, I grew up, um, all really into sports, um, as many people are growing up. Um, mm. I feel like that's a very common starting place for, you know, meeting a community of people and all that kind Absolutely. of Absolutely, yeah. Um, and then we all got really into music, our parents, which I think is, you know, one of the things that I value that my parents did for us is they all bought us our own in- instruments. Um, so it gave us an opportunity early on in life to explore creativity. And I think that has, you know, I have a piano right here behind me, but that has instilled just uh, the creative muscle within my character i guess yeah. you could say yeah um and then also going through a private montessori school altogether as well um very hands-on learn at your own pace kind of uh structure mm-hmm. but it was also very I, I feel like it had a creative pulse to the school um and so i feel like the, my roots of my parents what they provided us the things we did early on in life playing instruments and then going to this elementary school set the foundation to what I do now. Um, and that's like, you know, high level of how I got to where I am right now and why I do the things I do. Absolutely. Do you have a favorite instrument that you learned picking up music or? Um, I started with guitar. That was the first thing I ever played. Um, I put it down probably in middle school around there. Um, and then I picked it up again in college. It, left my life again, ebbs and flows. Yeah. I've always really wanted to play the piano. And so this was actually kind of like my, my COVID hobby that people, I guess people say, um, (laughs) it's like, I I need to do something musically really like just get it started again. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm back to the piano 
and um yeah just getting back involved with music as a whole I think it was um just a missing part of my life just to provide some fulfillment totally I always that's like that was like my thing that I think I missed like most growing up as a kid was not learning how to play an instrument I did the sports route like as as mm-hmm. you mentioned like it's the easiest way to like be a part of a community as a kid I always sucked at sports though like I honestly sucked at anything with a ball um and I was the kid with the rec specs on that like you didn't want to pick on your basketball team you know (laughs) but I got into swimming and that's what kind of got me through college but like the one regret I had growing up as a kid was like not having that like second avenue and that would be for me would have been like totally music or something more creative than sports Mm -hmm. so here we go here's a podcast (laughs) (laughs) there you go I mean I feel like I feel like anything creative is important to have absolutely whether that's yeah podcasting music or if it's i don't know sewing yeah Um, i think it's important for people to have creative endeavors um a lot of people think they're not creative but i think everyone is innately creative they just have maybe pushed it away Mm -hmm. or haven't um explored it enough to uncover what's already there absolutely Uh, I think humans are all just creative people. What we do is we create things. Um, and I don't think a lot of people give themselves enough credit that they're creative. Yeah. I think that that like connotation of like, I'm bad with like, cause you know, when you were growing up as a kid, like the word creative was like, whoever's the best at cutting out the shapes in class, whoever can co- like, I'm, I'm serious. Like whoever can color inside the lines. I couldn't like, color in the lines. Neither could I, <laughs> and I, neither could I. And like, part of it was probably cause I was left-handed. I'm going to blame it on that, but cause I couldn't see the lines, <laughs> but like, I, I always sucked with scissors cause every, we grew up with right-handed scissors. Like, and then, so that just like knocked me down a couple notches and being like, I'm not creative. And then like, yeah. as I have gotten older, the word creativity or being creative has such different, um, I guess, like medias or different ways to be creative. You know, like you think of the word content creation now, there's so many different ways to say that and to deem that a creator. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's just so interesting to me, like the cut and dry, like version of creativity is so like so much more evolved now. Yeah, well, I think maybe years ago, maybe when <laughs> we were growing up, but I feel like creativity was maybe seen more and more as a traditional, like, artistic skill yeah, 100 like painting or yeah. drawing or coloring creativity mm-hmm. it's allowing people to find the creativity that maybe they couldn't connect with when it was painting and, and drawing and those kind of things 100 100 so you have talked about that your parents gave you and your siblings kind of a space to allow you to find your own interests whether that yeah. be like you said like the sports things the music things People have their own views on this, and I'm not trying to upset anyone because there's really no wrong answers to the styles of parenting. Mm-hmm. But can you talk about maybe what that openness meant to you and your maybe your siblings too for growing up versus what would be deemed like maybe a helicopter parent approach? Yeah, I feel like my parents had always given us, like you said, the space to truly follow what felt right in our heart. They never force anything upon us, um, and they gave us room to make those decisions, uh, you know, for ourselves. And I think it was just having that permission from your parents to do those things as a creative individual um, boosts your confidence on what you can do in life. And I haven't take the, taken the most um, 
traditional career path uh, than others around me, but I do feel confident about the path I've taken because of the permission my parents gave to me growing up and still give to me this day. You know, mm -hmm. it's um, that support and, and permission to chase the things that I want to chase along, you know, my siblings doing the same thing, but chase the things I want to chase have curiosity and things that maybe aren't the norm. Um, you know, that is very special and, and something I'm, you know, incredibly grateful for every single day up until now. Absolutely. And we you know we'll forever be grateful for that. Absolutely. And I feel like, you know, us sitting here in our mid or late twenties, what have you can be able to like, look back on something like that and be like, to your point, thankful for that openness mm -hmm. to, to explore different avenues, do what we wanted to do. But at times too, maybe when we were in those adolescent phases of like 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, whatever, you know, like almost like, hey man, like give me some structure, like tell me what to do. Did you ever feel like you were losing a sense of identity because there was so much openness to you? Like, where can I, where's my lane? Yeah, um, I feel like not knowing your lane at some point in your life is important because it encourages you to find your lane, mm -hmm. a lane that you've designed for yourself. Um, and something that, you know, what I, what I like to remember is I have the shovel and so do you, you have mm -hmm. the shovel as well, which means that you can dig your own path. And so if you don't have your own lane, you can make your own lane. And so I don't think I ever saw it as a, I was never scared or worried that I couldn't find my place. Of course, I went through that moment in my life where I was like, shit, like, who am I? Where do yeah. I belong? What do I like yeah. to do? Right. But if I couldn't, if I was never in a place to ask those questions, I never would become the person that I'm supposed to be. And that's my belief. Absolutely. So you graduate from high school, you go from NorCal down to SoCal at Cal State Fullerton, where I kind of grew up. I was, I was an oh, OC nice. kid myself. Yeah. Where about? So, uh, I grew up in Rancho Santa Margarita, which cool. is like 25 minutes from yeah. Newport, which I know we'll get to this in just a second. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like um, I actually, I will never forget. I had my, I was big into speech and debate in high school. And um, I actually went to Cal State Fullerton for a, a debate tournament. My first okay. ever debate tournament. And what was so funny about that, and this is weird, the quick tangent, but we like we were so novice. Like we just, you know, like our teacher like signed us up. We were like, if we do great, great. If we don't, no one cares. Like this yeah. isn't a great. But we my team somehow made it to like the next round, which was the next day. But we had heard someone else on our team make it, and we were all so loud and cheering. And while they were announcing the other members of us, like the, the, my team that made it. We didn't hear it until like I drove home that night thinking like, I think we made it. And then I get a call from my debate teacher. She was like, Jared, like pack your bag. Like you have to come back to Cal State Fullerton. You know, it's like, it's like a 30 minute drive. My dad was yeah. like, on a Sunday, my dad was like, wait, this whole thing just turned into a weekend commitment for you, which was like supposed to be like a Saturday afternoon. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why this keeps coming about, but here it is. <laughs> so yeah, I'll, yeah, I was very grateful for Cal State Fullerton. <laughs> it's a good place. It's a good yeah. place. But so you go to Cal State Fullerton. I want to ask about 2013. You had a, you had a startling near-death experience. Many yeah. will say that going, getting that close to death brings a lot, more, a lot of us much more closer yeah. to living. What did that event do for you in the years ahead? 
it was my, it was really my first wake up call. It was, um, yeah, the first time I ever was asked to understand how fragile life was. Um, I was the first time I was asked to slow down and think about, you know, the real purpose of living and, and what I want to do with my time here. And so it really inspired me to start living a life infused with meaning. And it put me on this path of what I do now, personal growth, becoming a better version, helping other people to come to become a better version. Um, and I think those moments, not just my moment, but people's wake up calls happen for a specific reason. And I think a lot of the times it's to teach you that this can all be gone in a flash. And that's what it did for me. You know, yeah. it, sh it showed me how easily I could, you know, my life could be taken away. Um, and it definitely shook me up for a while. It was a car, a major car accident. Um, and looking back now that I'm older and wiser and can kind of reflect and kind of connect dots, it all makes sense. And right. it makes sense why I, I do what I do now. And it makes sense why I have a passion for that because my life was almost taken from me. I learned how fragile it was. And then I wanted to live a, a, a meaningful life. And then that gave me the desire to teach other people to do the same thing. So they didn't almost have to die to learn the same lesson. Absolutely. I mean, when you think about it, like you're a sophomore in college and this event happens and it's, it's like, it is eye opening and that it's, you know, you're, you're, to your point, you're right. You're that close to death. It makes you wonder, like, it makes you, I guess, appreciate life more, but it, yeah. even at such as a young age, like you're almost like forced to mature well beyond your years right there in that moment. Mm -hmm. I literally have the chills right now thinking about it. It's so weird. Um, I can only imagine. I mean, like it's yeah. probably something you'll never forget. I'm sure the people you know that were also involved will never forget, but it's interesting to me that something that like a lot of people can deem as like a negative event. I mean, obviously it was a negative event, right? I don't want to belabor the point or like, you know, make it smaller than it is. But to turn it into the positive that you have over the years now, I think is the most impressive part of the story. Here. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. Um, I think we are all in control of, to an extent, of how um, an event like that could impact our mental health and how we continue life after that event. And so I, I, I had two decisions. I could have take the negative route and started to live in fear of dying, you know, right. started to live in fear of being in a car because I don't want to get into the car accident or I could take the route I've taken and leverage that as an opportunity for me to learn more about the, uh, the importance of living with purpose, living with meaning, and also helping other people achieve that same thing. And so I, I kind of see it as, you know, they're, they're like parallel universes I could have gotten like, that are existing right now somewhere, but there was me on the negative path, me on the positive path. And obviously I'm very grateful that I've always had a very positive mindset and I was able to exercise that muscle in that moment to make the most out of it. 100%. And the last thing I'll say on this is because we'll, we'll touch on it more later in the conversation, but like, that's the perfect example of becoming unstuck, right? Like, yeah, you could have, you could still be kind of you know, never get behind the car, you know, never get behind the wheel of a car, never, you know, never go on I-5 or, I, I, you know, or uh, 405, whichever freeway. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm guessing it's one of those two, right? But like just being more 
present now and yeah. kind of you know your your past doesn't have to define your future and so just kind of moving beyond it and obviously like learning the lessons from the past but moving past it is mm -hmm. super important there totally agree so you go on to graduate from Cal State Fullerton with a degree in business finance and what you can call a very common path you take what you learned in college put it into a career make some money retire take out the 401k, you name it, right? Yeah. Uh, but in doing my research on you, that is definitely not the path that you have taken. Um, so what didn't sit right with you? Like what, what aspect of, and I'm not telling you this was, you know, you did something wrong because I don't, I don't necessarily think that, but like where, where maybe someone would be like, just do it, dude. Like, t like you got the degree. Here's that piece of paper that says you have a degree in finance, go get the finance job, make your hundred K by 25 and you're good to go. What made mm -hmm. you say like, Never mind, I'm good. Because that's what I didn't want to do. And I think that everyone has the power to choose what they want to do yeah. and, and not necessarily be, in uh, what's the right word, motivated by traditional patterns. And I've always kind of had a, a more rebellious take on those kind of things and what I want to make out of my life. And impact and fulfillment are two really big things for me in life in general but if we're just talking about career right now like in career um i want to make sure my work is always having an impact and fulfilling me and the work that i would be doing with that degree originally which i actually done for i did for a couple of years and figured right. out you know that wasn't the right thing <laughs> right um i just didn't feel fulfilled and i wasn't going to work you know x amount more years of my life unfulfilled because work takes up so much time as we all know and have experienced. Um, and so I just took it as another opportunity for me to design the life that I wanted to design for myself. If I was going to get one life. Absolutely. I'll never forget like my first day of working in what is obviously deemed like corporate America. Yeah. I, my girlfriend's mom asked me like, how was your first day? And I was telling her like, it was great. I had so much fun, blah, blah, blah. She goes, great. Only 40 more years of that. And I, like, that was like, whoa, you know, like that's yeah. so true, you know? And like, probably let's be honest at this rate, probably like way more than 40 years, but you know, it's just like, it is a wake up call. And, you know, I love my job, my, like my full-time job, but I think, you know, we're obviously talking about this today, like finding the different passions in life that you have that can, you know, be a part of that. Just, just the same, you know? Yeah. I mean? mm -hmm. So not only did you, you, you've kind of taken the, the not so, you know, not so uh, common path, but even to like right after college, you left what was for like a lot of college kids, a pretty comfortable job. You know, you had a great apartment in Newport Beach, California. I'm, I'm very jealous. You, you worked <laughs> at a decent restaurant. I'm assuming that's it's still there. So do you know, do you remember the name of the restaurant or? Yeah, it was the Old Spaghetti honest. Factory. Oh, so you left a job at the Old Spaghetti Factory. <laughs> the obviously. legendary Old Spaghetti Factory. Yes, and a home of many, many post-swim meet uh, dinners. But what was, like, so you graduated. What did you, like, what was that first move for you? Well, all three of my siblings had all traveled right after they graduated. And so a travel kind of um, gap year, gap couple months was, was already kind of in, in the plans of what I wanted to do. Um, I didn't find any like internships or jobs that really connected with me during my, my time at college. So I was never like pulled back into the the career path right after yeah. college. So um, yeah, I graduated on like, it was like June 2nd or 
June first and and left for my trip I think on June 9th. Um, so I graduated and basically packed up my my station wagon, moved out of our our place on the peninsula, parked my car in my buddy's garage to you know stay put it somewhere while I was gone. And I flew overseas uh, by myself for what was supposed to be five weeks and, and it eventually turned into three months. But um, that was my my escape plan to just do something for myself right after I graduated. Because yeah. at the time I was 21 and I'm 27 now and I still got like, you know, 30 years of working. So <laughs> what's three months to not work? Uh, right. And so that was my motivation to just do something for myself. Absolutely. So, I mean, taking this backpacking trip across Europe in search of, you know, finding yourself, finding your identity, was there a roadmap? I mean, you gave yourself a week after graduating. Did you have any sort of plan once you got there or was it like, pack it up, let's just go? Yeah, I had been planning the trip for, I mean, I bought my ticket probably five or so months in advance. Right. Um, and I had, so I I picked out kind of locations of where I was going to be traveling through uh, in Europe, um, but I didn't do much planning within each city. It was more so finding a, a place to sleep. And then um, I, I'm just a very go with the flow person <laughs> um, <laughs> and I've become, my fiance is the opposite. She's, she's the type that has an itinerary for a trip and all that kind of stuff. And so I've started to trend toward that direction. But when I was single at the time, um, there was no itineraries uh, besides where I was sleeping. So, but I actually think that gave me a really cool experience because it made me have to remain open to what was going to happen. And then that right. allowed me to, um, or I guess that made me have to meet people to find out what they were doing and connect with the community and, and all those things that come with solo travel. Um, and so it gave me a really, really awesome experience. Yeah, I mean, like when you think about like solo traveling, I unfortunately have not had the chance to do it. I didn't get to study abroad and I'm still trying to find time in my life to do that, but mm -hmm. not study abroad, but <laughs> go go abroad, period. <laughs> yeah. But um, like solo traveling, and when you stick to like a itinerary, you're limiting yourself, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it's great to see, you know, this museum or that museum or this landmark or that landmark, but like you're missing, because I know you've told stories about like, the gypsy on the street corner or like the random place that I'm staying at or this restaurant that no one recommended, but I just stumbled upon. Like it's those types of aspects that you'll never forget because it just like, it was serendipitous and it just came. Yeah. yeah. So the way I look at it is like, there's no conflict, conflict of interest or preference right. when you're by yourself, which right. I think is, is really beautiful. <laughs> not to say that it's not fun to now do, you know, travel with a partner and all that stuff, because I think that's also very beautiful. And there's 100%. there's something so special about sharing a memory with someone you're going to be with for the rest of your life. But there's also something so special about um, doing something on your own to have this experience for yourself. And now I get to have that forever. And it's very, very close to my heart. Um, but yeah, not having an itinerary and also not having, like I was supposed to go with someone else originally. I was supposed oh, to really? go with a friend. Okay. And he had gotten a job and they needed him to train in New York in the summer. And so he bailed. And so originally it was supposed to be a, a, a two-person trip. And that's, that's kind of how it formed into this solo trip that was very out of character for me and it was really far outside my comfort zone. Um, but again, it, you know, everything happens for a reason. And so if, if he had gone, it would have been completely different. It, yeah. 
different experience. Um, so not having a friend there, yeah, it allowed me to remain open to other people's things they were doing. Like, oh, hey, like, what are you guys doing today? Like, oh, cool, I'll tag along. Right. But if there's someone else there, like, oh, I want to go to this museum on this day and do this and all these things, it's like, you know, that wasn't going to match up with really what I wanted to do. So um, I think there was a lot of beauty in, in having no restrictions. Absolutely. How did the trip go from five weeks to three months? How did, did you just say like, eh, I'm not going to go home just yet? Or like, how did you decide like, okay, I'm going to stay here the whole summer? Basically, um, <laughs> I had, so I had traveled through Barcelona near the back end of my trip and really fell in love with the city, really fell in love with the people at the hostel I was working at. Um, and then my next stop was my last stop, which was in uh, Portugal. And my sister had lived in Paris at the time, and we had met up earlier on the trip when I was passing through in Paris. Um, and so she said she would meet me in Portugal because there is a surf hostel down in Sagres, which is the most southern point city of Portugal. Um, so we go there, we meet up eventually, uh, stay at the hostel for like three days. My flight is the following afternoon back to the States. But again, I'm single. I don't have a job and I also don't have a house. And so there's not a single thing that's calling me back home. Right. Uh, and so I just had this urge that I really wanted to extend this trip, even though I knew I really couldn't afford doing that. Um, I was running low on funds and, uh, you know, money was getting tight, but I just had a feeling to reach out to the manager of the hostel in Barcelona because volunteers work there and, and, um, there's always, you know, People are in and out of the door because their travel plans keep on right. moving. So right. turnover is pretty quick in the hostel world. <laughs> they said, yeah, sure. Like we have an opening. Can you come here like tomorrow? And I was like, damn, like this is crazy. I don't know really <laughs> what's going on. And then so I talked to my sister and she was, all, she was like very, very supportive and very encouraging. Like if that's a possibility, like I, I totally think you should do it. Mm -hmm. Called my parents. They had the same energy. It was if there's no reason for you to come home, then why are you coming home? And yeah. so I, I skipped my flight home the next day and bought another ticket back, back to Barcelona um, and then worked at the hostel for another month and a half. And again, couldn't have done that if there was someone else there. The beauties right. of solo travel, right. um, you kind of just take whatever opportunities you know, cross your path. And that was you know one of them. Absolutely. So a big part of your trip, though, is that you were – you were journaling every single day. You, anything that you could write down, you would write it down. And the results speak for themselves, right? You've, you have a knack for writing. You've written two incredible books. Is journaling what has given you the ability to put pen to paper to tell these stories in the ways that you want to tell them? Like, is that what really drew you to become a writer today? Yeah, for sure. I, um, I sucked at writing for most of my life, to be, like, to be straight up and honest. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't, I was terrible at it and I didn't like it. And for some reason I felt called to bring in a journal, um, which is actually sitting right here behind me on my piano. Um, I keep it out as a reminder just of that experience. Um, and so I just had a daily journal of kind of what was going on. What was I feeling? What was I experiencing? And that was kind of where the, I'll call it like the creative muscle mm -hmm. strengthened it, it itself. Uh, and so that daily practice really got me in the rhythm of writing and it made me fall in love with the process. It was, it felt therapeutic, especially 
uh, being alone and, you know, there are a lot of, you know, ups and downs to solo travel. It's not always, you know, rainbows and butterflies or <laughs> moments of homesickness and not really sure what you're doing and kind of feeling lonely and things like that. And, and, you know, my journal was there for me to express that in moments that I needed to and finding therapy in that creative exercise, uh, you know, made me fall in love with the craft of writing. And that mm -hmm. was really kind of like the moment that sent me off on this, th this path of, you know, being a writer, editor, and author. Absolutely. Now, and, and I'm sorry to say this, but I've always seen journaling as kind of a daunting task, right? And not a task. Like it's not it can be. It's not, right. And it's not that you yeah. have to journal, but you've put out some incredible content on social media on how to help people get started journaling. Yeah. What are some ways people can just start without looking at it like such this giant feat that I have to, you know, cover to cover a leather bound journal? Mm -hmm. I think what's a couple pointers. Um, I like to say, set a time limit, not a page limit. Pages can be very scary if you're like, okay, well, I got to write, you know, like, one or two pages every day for the next seven days. It's like, well, like I don't sometimes even write that long. <laughs> like right. that's, a, that's a lot. Right. Um, so set a time limit. So even if it's three to five minutes, three times a week to start, um, it doesn't need to be much. And then as you get used to it and you start to really, if it's something you connect with, um, which is important is making sure you connect with it before, you know, making it something you want to commit to. I don't think you should commit to anything that doesn't resonate. Right. Um, then you can kind of up the days, you know, four days, five days. I like to, I journal Monday through Friday. Um, sometimes on the weekend, I'm not as like, uh, strict with it on the weekend to be completely honest. Yeah. Um, another tip is using journal prompts, I think is really beneficial because I think a lot of people that are starting journaling, they're like, well, where do I start? What am I right. writing about? I'm looking at a blank page. Tell right. me what to do. Yeah. And that's, that is very scary for a lot of people. Um, and I think journal prompts are the best possible way to just give you somewhere to start. And I am a big believer in practicing gratitude. Um, it adds an immense amount of happiness into your life. It, you know, relieves stress, lowers anxiety and depression. There's so many scientific benefits um, and proven benefits yeah. uh, that have been, you know, put out recently on gratitudes. And so I think gratitude journaling is also a really easy place to start for people. That's writing three to five things you're grateful for in the morning. It doesn't mm. even take long. It could be, you know, five minutes. Um, right. But I think those two things, time limit, not a page limit, and writing what you're grateful for, I guess three things, and then using journal prompts, you know, that can put someone on a, a path of kind of getting started. Absolutely. And for you, you know, you, you, you said that, you know, you weren't the best writer growing up. Like I personally wasn't either. Like I always got, mm. you know, like the solid B on the essay, like good enough, but never like the extraordinary, but like, what's the benefit to journaling? If you're like thinking like, I don't want to write another thing on a page from mm. what I did in high school or college, but I see that people are using journaling as an avenue to better their lives, better themselves. Like, what's the benefit? to journaling if you're not the, you know, the keen writer that you want to be? Well, I, first off, I don't think journaling doesn't need to be this like beautifully written piece of like perfect copy and, and right. vocabulary and all that. It could be like shitty grammar for all you like, <laughs> no, no one needs to read this stuff. And so 
um, I just want to say that before kind of getting into um, what I think it's good for, because you don't need to be a good writer to journal. I don't, I don't think the act of journaling is to make you become a good writer. It's to learn more about yourself is really what journaling does. It lets you tap into your roots, uncover your truths, um, and really find just an understanding of all edges of your character. And I find it very therapeutic if I'll let you guys in on my daily journaling routine. I start my day by writing three to five things I'm grateful for because I practice what I preach. Right. And I then write, instead of doing a, a daily diary, just saying like what you did on this day, I think there's uh, more beneficial ways to approach it. And so I write how the things I've recently done have made me feel. And so now you're uncovering how things have impacted you. Right. And what that does is that allows journaling to let you have basically a database over time that you can reflect on of your highs and lows. And then you can repeat the things that created the highs and you can try to avoid the things that created the lows. And so now you're using it as a tool to improve your life. Mm-hmm. And then I end with five positive affirmations. So five I am statements that help me develop and maintain a positive mindset. Um, do, the, do those five, sorry, I didn't want to cut you off. Yeah, go for it. Uh, do those five affirmations, do they change usually daily? Like, you know, yeah. I can get, um, it can get hard for me to think of more than <laughs> 10 things that I am affirming. I guess, you know, like, I don't know how, be, how extensive you get those affirmations, but I feel like it can be difficult to. Yeah. To, I mean, m- most of them always um, stay the same. I mean, the last couple, I'm looking at my journal right now. Yeah. yeah. Um, last couple of days, they've been more or less the same. I feel like there's themes. Let's put it that way. There's always themes that I'm trying to um, build a better mindset around. So things that I may struggle with mentally. Um, whether that be my creativity, uh, the success I can reach, uh, my abundance, um, those kind of things. So maybe those are themes. And I kind of have just built some different affirmations that have helped me uh, just have a, a better outlook on those areas of my life. So they can always remain the same. And I think if they provide value to your life, then there's no need to change them. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, for example, I will read some I am open, I am ready, I receive. That's a positive affirmation that I repeat or write down every day. Um, People value my creativity. And so these are things that you write, if anyone's interested in positive affirmations, um, you write them in present tense, like they already exist, even if they don't exist quite yet. And that helps instill the thought in your conscious mind, but also your subconscious mind. And over time, as you repeat them more, magically, don't know how they seem to start to come true yeah um and so yes that's that's my take on positive affirmations well yeah you're writing it or speaking it into existence people say that all the time like speak it into existence and so mm-hmm. writing it down however many times even if it's a hundred times like it's gonna it's probably gonna start to to show in that everyday life and i love yeah thank you for sharing your your journal it looked brand new is that the 2022 journal this is the 2022 journal i got <laughs> A couple entries in here. I start um, the way I like to do journaling, and anyone, you guys can copy me on this because I think it's a great way to do journaling. One journal per year. Um, so that way, in years to come, say you want to reflect on them, you know, I could pull out my 2016 journal, I could pull out my 2017 journal, and you kind of just have this like record 
of yeah. your life for whatever way you use your journal, whether it was you were drawing, writing, things you're going through, emotions, wins, lows, all that kind of stuff. And so I really like having one journal um, for every year. That way I can kind of open each year if totally. I want to reflect. So yeah, absolutely. It's like an archive of your own personal. Exactly. Experience. Yeah. I love it. I love it. We're going to take a quick break from this week's interview to talk about our new sponsors over at Beam. Guys, I want to talk to you a little bit about protein powder. I have been doing protein powder on and off for probably close to 10 to 12 years. Like when it first came out or when I first started using it, it tasted like absolute chalk. Like vanilla is, in my opinion, superior to chocolate in a lot of things. And I'm going to get hate for that. But vanilla protein powder was just not it. And what was so crazy to me was during those 12 years of on and off using protein powder, it all tasted like chalk. There was no advancements until Beam came along. That's right, guys. I have been partnering with Beam for quite some time now. They have been helping me with my fitness transformation, what, whatever you want to call it. But they really helped me out with my marathon. A couple things. One with pre-workout. I want to say this. Pre-workout was something that I was a little skeptical about. But when I would come home from work and have to get on the treadmill to go run 8, 9, 10 miles, I didn't want to do that. No one in their sane mind would want to do that. So a little half scoop of the pre-workout. I like the rainbow candy or the pink lemonade, and I was good to go. But it wasn't like jittery, jittery, jittery crash. It was pure energy throughout the entire run. I then come home, get a nice scoop of their vanilla soft serve pre-workout, and man, the chalkiness is gone. Guys, I can't kid you enough. You got to go try this out for yourself. So what we're doing for you guys is we're going to get you guys 10% off on your order. You're going to use the code Jared at youcanbeam.com. When you check out, again, use the code Jared, J-E-R-O-D at youcanbeam.com. They have uh, plenty of types of products, whether you want super greens, whether you want pre-workout, whether you want whey protein, vegan protein, you name it. They've got it with unbelievable flavors. So head over to youcanbeam.com. Use code Jared, J-E-R-O-D, at checkout to get 10% off. Now back to the interview. So you compiled your journal entries from your travel in Europe in a book titled uh, Moment, Volume 1, To Whom It May Concern. And almost three years later to the date, you, <laughs> you, you brought out You Deserve This Shit. What lessons, because the two books are entirely different, right? I mean, Very different. Yeah, but I guess- what personal lessons did you take from book one that you brought with you to book two? I mean, I think the biggest thing was the, the openness to publish my writing. Uh, doing it once made me believe that I could do it twice is, is really is what it did for me. So the first book was my entry point. And once I put the first one out, it felt like the, the door is open to what I do now. Absolutely. Felt like that with this podcast. Like I did one. It's like, okay, like I told everyone I'll come out with a new episode every Wednesday. <laughs> so here we go. We got to figure that out. <laughs> yeah. But I love that. I love that. So you have a number of different passions that we've talked about on the show, obviously mm -hmm. writing, but even to photography, music, right? Yeah. Was there ever a time that you had to think or maybe had a thought of like, maybe I should focus on just one or prioritize one over the other two? I have that thought all the time. <laughs> it's, like, it's like you're, uh, 
I feel like you're in my head right now. <laughs> I'm trying, man. Um, I'm trying. <laughs> I, yeah. And I, I recently went through this and I recently made a decision on to prioritize something because in the past I was, let's, let's talk in the terms of social media. I've yeah. always used my social media as a place to showcase my travel photography for a while. I wanted to be a travel writer. Um, and then I kind of just lost connection with it. And then I realized everything you're passionate about doesn't need to become a, a monetizable career. And that was a very, Thank you. That a is, very, I love that <laughs> very pivotal. Yeah. It's a very pivotal moment in my own life because for a long time, I would try to monetize any craft that I was remotely good at. And so I made the decision about probably like even like four or five months ago to not monetize my photography in the way that I wanted to in the past. If it happened naturally, if you want to buy prints or if like someone, you know, found my work online and something came from it, great. But I wasn't going to chase that as a thing of, you know, my career and business. And so that's when I decided that I need to prioritize writing and personal growth work, you know, as, as, as number one thing that I wanted to make my career. Um, so, and now with music, I kind of have the same juggle of, of how I want to devote my time and energy to it. Um, it's something I feel very passionate about and something I would, I would actually, you know, love to do as a career. So I, I practice it based, I, I give it as much attention as I do my writing career, even though it's not monetized. Um, but, you know, that was a long answer. No, I, I, um, I was, I was, I wanted to make sure you got your point across. Cause I just wanted to jump in and say, like, thank you for saying that, you know, just because you're passionate about something doesn't mean you need to monetize it right away. Cause that can yeah. make you lose that love and passion of why you initially started it. Right. Like mm -hmm. I'll, I'll, I mean, for this show, right. When the first like five episodes came out, people were like, well, are you looking for ads? Are you like, how are you monetizing it? Are you like, you know, are you trying to get sponsorships? And I was like, like, yes, but I want that to come like organically. I don't yeah. want to like be waste, not wasting, but spending so much time trying to find a brand sponsor that I'm losing touch of who I want to interview, what I want to ask them, how I want to craft the interview, because I'm not a professional at it. Like, yeah. you know, the saying is you have to put in 10,000 hours and I have 69 episodes. Like, that's not a thousand, that's not 10,000 hours, not even a thousand hours. Like I want to be able to be good at it. And then the monetization of the creativity will be more like the cherry on top. Cause mm -hmm. it, like in the world we live in today, social media is first was first created to just share. Right. And you think about it. And then obviously mm -hmm. the business minds got together and was like, we can monetize this. And now every creative has to be like, how do I monetize my page? How do I monetize yeah. my photography? How do I monetize my podcast, my writing, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And it's like almost brainwashing. Cause it's all the same stuff. Especially yeah. when you think about like social media, like everyone's doing the same ads. Everyone's got the same partnerships. Like I, if I follow one influ influencer, I know they're going to talk about like, um, just to use this one as an example, like Hoka's and then the next runner I follow is going to talk about Hoka's because Hoka's <laughs> yeah. wants to influence or sorry, wants to partner with runners and that's yeah. fine, but it's like, it's so saturated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really is. Uh, I think it's even, you know, it's going to increasingly get more saturated. Yes. And I think that that's the importance of 
of not maybe wanting to monetize as quickly maybe that your peers should think you should do yeah. because I think it takes time to find your originality in the craft and what makes you different. And I believe that setting that foundation is really crucial to the longevity of a creative business. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I do think it's important to not be so quick to want to make money off of something and Absolutely. just enjoy it for the creativity because I think creativity as a whole, removing business from it does provide um, creative artists and creative people with a lot of life. Absolutely. So the new book, You Deserve This Shit, has three subtitles to it, right? Getting un- or Get Unstuck, Find Your Path, and Become the Best Version of Yourself. We've talked yeah. a little bit about getting unstuck. I want to move to the topic of finding your path. And I want to hit you with this quote, not that I'm a not that I'm always going to hit with quotes. I think this is the first time I'm ever doing this on this show. But it comes from the book, The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse. And I don't know if you've read that. It's it's more of an illustration it. book. But if you – I'll check it are, out. There are some incredible quotes in this. It's such an innocent little book. But the boy asks the horse, what is the bravest thing that you've ever said? To which the horse said, help. And asking for help isn't giving up. It's refusing to give up. Mm. The reason why I bring this up is because when we talk about finding your path, it can seem very isolating. You have to find yours. I have to find mine. You know, everyone else is finding their own paths. Yeah. You know, stay in your lane. But how important is it to ask for help along the way, finding your own path? I think it's, it should be a priority because this is what I tell people. No one's ever going to know if you need help unless you ask for help. Um. And if you don't ask for help, you might not get the support you need to, to go the distance that you belong or where you desire. And so a lot of people kind of like that quote referred to a lot of people see help as a weakness, Yeah. but I think asking for help is a strength because you have the courage to be upfront about just knowing that you don't have all the things you need quite yet. And you have the strength to ask for help around those things. Uh, and I think maybe even not literally asking for help, but buying a book that supports where you are in your journey is asking for help. Right. Um, it doesn't have to be literal. Hey, can you help me find my path or help me get unstuck? But asking for help is, you know, is the same thing as looking for the resources that are going to support you. Absolutely. And so as we kind of are all works in progress, right? When you talk about def- you know finding the best version of yourself, mm-hmm. how do you define that? Because I'm assuming it's it's always ch- evolving. It's not necessarily changing because you want to be a version that you appreciate. But how does yeah. that continue to evolve while you're striving to be the best version of yourself? I think the, I mean, kind of like you said, becoming the best version of yourself. There is no destination. Hate to break it to the listeners, but <laughs> shoot, <laughs> you will never become that person because, in my opinion, you can always be better than you were yesterday. And in, in some edge of life, there's yeah. so many you know avenues of life. There's some area you can improve on, which I think is a great thing. Um, and so I think as we get older, we get wiser and we are more aware of life in general. And are also more aware of ourselves in life in general and having that awareness. And when you start to learn more about yourself, you're going to just naturally uncover areas that you want to explore more and, and improve on or, or let go of, you know, I think becoming the best version of yourself isn't just about 
finding the things that you love and, and that work, but it's also about finding the things that you don't connect with and that you don't like, and that holds you back and steal your energy. Um, and so it's a constant game. It really is. It's a constant yeah. game of, of just understanding who you are and, and how to improve that person. Uh, and I think if you can find passion in the pursuit of becoming the best version of yourself, you'll start to just see it not as a, you know, a pain point of life, but as an opportunity to make the most of your life. Absolutely. And I think like when we think I want to become the best version of myself, usually that means like mentally you're probably thinking that's going to be what I'm going to look like in the next 10 years and what I'm going to look like when I retire. Like that's the best, like, but I think to your point, enjoying the process, walking through, taking it step-by-step along this path is what's the beauty of becoming your best self. Like part of what I've done over the past year, two years now is setting like year long goals, but enjoying the process of getting to that end goal, like yeah. more, more so like having the goal as the accountability and then mm-hmm. the path being like last year in 2021, it was to run 1000 miles. And halfway through, I was like, this is fun training <laughs> for something that is a thousand miles, but like I, I come from competitions, right? I was a swimmer in college. Like I want to race. And that gave me the courage enough to sign up for my first marathon. So then I did that at the end of October. And that was like, not the original goal was to run mm-hmm. a marathon. The original goal was a thousand miles, but setting those little milestones along the way is what got me to, to do that. And then in 2022 this year, my goal is to read 20 books. Now, I know that's not a big goal, especially talking to an author here, but it's something that I've never done. So I've never done it too. So there we go. Okay. So I, I, I said it on this show. I'll never forget. It was, I, it was like four, four episodes back. And I was like, I just want to read more because I was talking to a runner who says he listens to audiobooks, And I was like, I definitely need to read more because I just listen to music when I run. And he was like, okay, we'll set a goal. And I was like, okay. I came up with 20 and he was like, whoa i was thinking like five and i was like you know like i just gotta go big i think like i felt like 12 was like a pretty standard number right like one a month one a month anyone could probably do that Mm -hmm. but like you know like no one can not everyone can run a thousand miles not everyone can read 20 books so here we go (laughs) i love it but yeah yeah, like what have you like what i guess what what have you done to kind of create your own path in, in finding that best version of yourself maybe like some tangible goals that you've seen over the past few years or so um, I mean, I guess I'll just kind of touch on what I'm going through right now. Yeah. Um, I feel like usually I've set goals that are based around success and like business and things like that. And I think it's really easy to, to set those goals because yeah, people work a lot and, and they want to become successful, honestly. Right. Um, so pe- a lot of goals are around that. But I think as I've gotten older, I've kind of trended more toward like personal goals that maybe don't apply i kind of like the reading goal is a perfect example yeah um and so i think i've been trying to find areas that maybe i've neglected like reading like during the writing process of my book i literally didn't pick up a single book for two years um and i've recently gotten back into writing and instead of thinking kind of like uh the journal tip yeah time limit not a page limit um i think that's really crucial um and i think what you're saying so you set your long like you set your your year long goal right but what but 
what I like to do is, and you know, you might have the same process is setting action steps or um, I have a friend that calls them domino goals. So the goals that, you know, you need to hit for all the dominoes to fall over and, and knock the final goal over. Um, and I think that's really helped me become the better version of myself is setting the ultimate goal, but setting the, the, the intermediate goals along the way Yeah. Um, that I can focus on through the process. So I'm not focused on the destination because as, as soon as you focus on the end goal, I feel like you kind of just get lost in like all the craziness of how much work it's going to take. 100%. Um, and so breaking it down is like super important. That's what I do. And my goal setting is how can I break this all down into like bite-sized things that I can do on a daily basis or a weekly basis um, to eventually add up over time? Because I believe in the compound effect. Um, it's one of the books I recommend to everybody, which is small things repeated over time, you know, compounded to greater things. Absolutely. Um, and so if you read, you know, 10 minutes a day, or if you're doing a, if you decide to do a page limit, like 10 pages a day, and you just focus on that daily goal, like imagine how much that's going to add up in 365 days. Exactly. Exactly. Like that's been this, like the running goal was so much easier because it was like 83.3 miles a month. Like that's like, if you want to get to a thousand, you have to do that. Like yeah. you, know, you have to average X amount reading. It's a bit different. Cause like the books that I want, I don't have a list. Everyone's asked me, do you have a list of the 20 books already? Like, I'll be honest, Jordan, I added, you deserve this shit. It's in my, it's being primed to my apartment tonight. Let's go. <laughs> so that I can, that can be the second book. Cause I'm in the middle of the first. Like I, like I don't, like I don't have a page like yeah. per month. Cause like books are different pages. Books can be read easier, right. or harder, et cetera. But the thing, like just going back to like enjoying the process of it, had I not had this goal of reading more this year, reading 20 books, I probably wouldn't have stumbled across your book. We probably wouldn't be having this conversation. We wouldn't be able to do this interview. So like enjoying even six days into 2022 and recording this episode, like that's what I've already loved about setting this type of goal is those, those compound little steps that have gotten mm -hmm. me to, to where I want to go at the end of 22. Yeah. And I think those, the compound little steps allow us to have the little things to celebrate along the way. And I think if we neglect um, having moments that we can celebrate along the way in the process, it makes it a whole lot fucking harder. Yeah. Um, like, when, for example, when I wrote my book, I think it's, I don't know off the top of my head, somewhere around like 26 chapters or 27. Each chapter I was in my head, I was writing an article. And that made me break the book down into more of a, a bite-sized uh, challenge. And yeah. Feat. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't writing a book. I was writing 27 articles and it's just a mental thing. It's like a perspective shift It really just having that different perspective of the project of the goal, whatever that goal is, a thousand miles, 20 books, right. writing a book. It just makes it mentally easier to achieve. Right. And really, I, I think if you do the, if you show up to do the work every day, the only battle is, is the mental, you know? you're already doing the work, but can you withstand the mental battle of having, you know, to push through whatever that is? Absolutely. And I was going to wait till we stopped recording to ask you this, but I feel like it'd be a benefit to anyone that's listening. Do you have any recommendations for my 20 books <laughs> that yeah. I have to read? <laughs> um, if you haven't read How to Win, Fri Win Friends and Influence People, um, that's a definite. Um, Atomic Habits is an incredible read by James Clear. Um, Will Smith just came out with his memoir. 
Oh yeah. I, I, I just finished it out. like two nights ago. And what I love about it is it's entertaining because it's Will Smith and he's right. lived in a very interesting life, but it's also like, it's very like self-help at the core. The way he writes the book is he tells stories to teach a lesson that he learned in that yeah. phase of his life. And so it's an entertaining way to, to consume something that's self-help. Absolutely. Uh, um, one, one that kind of reminds me, I haven't read Will Smith's yet, but it kind of like based on what you said, like what reminded me of it, it was Kevin Hart's memoir. Um, ooh. It's called, I can't make this up. That's probably really it's, good. It's really good. Like, you know, like another person that has lived an incredible life to this point, but maybe like some people don't really know, like he like grew up in a, obviously he grew up in a pretty poor area. Uh, you know, not the easiest upbringing as a kid and you know just his his story is the way he could tell a story is is insane yeah that's That's i gotta check that one out i didn't know he had one yeah so i would say like those three books atomic habits how to win friends and influence people and will um i'm looking at my stack of books over here (laughs) like what else (laughs) Uh, but those three i think would be you know really good books to add or or at least check them out and see if it interests you um, how to win friends is definitely an older read yeah. I don't know if you've already read it before um, i think i read it in high school i think or maybe even middle school yeah they had the books they had us read it at some point i think i yeah. read it i think they handed it out in college for me yeah. and one of my professors yeah. anyway it's it's an older style of writing so i feel like sometimes it doesn't connect as, yeah with people um but yeah those, those are three great books what was the other one it's like seven habits of highly successful people yeah yeah yeah. i, read I that haven't one in middle school. i haven't read that um but i would like to so my dad brought this up while we were watching the rose bowl i don't know if you're a big college football fan but we were just watching and like there's a player on utah and he was like that's the grandson of the guy who wrote the the seven habits and i was like what yeah <laughs> anyways <laughs> a little interesting there. interesting yeah. it's but, uh highly effective people i think i messed that one up myself yeah seven habits of highly effective people yeah i think i might have said successful is yeah back check myself yeah (laughs) six in one hand half a dozen in the other you know yeah (laughs) but i guess you know we're here in 2022 i'd be remiss to ask you i don't want to ask what your new year's resolution is because like i i like to put resolutions and goals for the year in kind of the same breath because you know i don't want to ask someone i've barely met like what's the one thing you want to change about yourself you know yeah but so what's your 2022 goal my my ultimate goal sure if you have it yeah (laughs) every year i choose one word that defines the intention of my year which at its core is something that i really think i need to improve on to uh improve multiple areas of my life and that is this year it's surrender um which is another word for letting go and it's actually really perfect for the conversation because we've been talking about the process we've been talking about the outcome and the destination and all that stuff and that's what that word is here to inspire and motivate me to do is to not get caught up in the details and all the the nitty-gritty and what's going to happen if i do this like what are the results i'm going to have in you know december of 2022 just let go of all that and trust that the effort i put in every day is going to lead me to where i need to be Absolutely. So that's my, my ultimate goal. I love that you chose the word surrender because I think obviously it can be deemed as a negative word, 
right? Like in war, it's, you know, giving up in this, you know, in, in life, it could be, you know, like yeah. leaving something behind, but surrendering yourself to just, you know, enjoy the process. I hate to deem, or hate, hate to coin the phrase, trust the process, but, yeah. you know, just like being able to, to just let go and, and let it, you know, go with the flow as the saying goes. So I, I love that choice in your word for 2022. I think it's perfect. And two, like, just like the past two years, like let's call a spade a spade. It's been tough to let things go or let it go or go with the flow because we've been so, everything has to be by the book. You know, everything has to be so straight and narrow that like we don't have time to surrender and and be maybe as authentic as we have have hoped maybe in the past two years or so. Yeah. Um, I think just touching the last two years. Yeah. Uh, I really feel like I know this kind of happened to me at some point in that time, but a lot of people have kind of lost touch with themselves and, and lost maybe a sense of direction. And for the people that may have experienced this, like just a reminder that you're not alone. I think a lot of people may think like, oh, this is like maybe I'm the only one that's experiencing how like terrible I may feel or lost or confused, but a lot of us are going through that. And I really think I've been trying to teach people that I know there's always such a big push on like resolutions and goals and this whole like new you kind of stuff right now. Yes. But as, as corny as, as it may seem and and may feel to some people, like it is really like an opportunity to rewrite the path that you've been on and take it as a chance to um, change the way maybe you've had your outlook on life for the last two years. And, and so as we he- are here now recording on January 6th, like take this as your sign that it's, it's your turn to, you know, rewrite your path and rewrite your story and, and get back on track to, you know, the person you maybe were in 2019 before, you know, that two year span happened. Um, but yeah, I just kind of want to remind people that as corny as all that, the goal stuff and the self-help books and the resolutions and the, the word of the year may seem at its core, it's an opportunity for you to change your life. I love that. I love that. I love that coming from the self-help author too, <laughs> you know, like just, just saying it how it is. I love that. Yeah. So we, we've gotten to a portion of the show now where we're doing something new here uh, in the new episodes of, of Normal Guy Lazy Eye, where I have kind of, as I've reflect over the past episodes, I feel kind of bad for the guests. I've been sitting here for an hour asking you questions about your life, about your story, about what you've done. I want to give the guest of the show the opportunity to ask me a question. Now, Jordan, I know you've been on a number of different shows, so I'm sure this is like kind of a relief almost to be able to ask (laughs) anything you want. So here it is. You have the ability to ask me any question that you want. I will answer it 100% honestly. And then I do have one final question for you. Okay, well, I think it's only fitting if I ask you, um, if you haven't, what would be your word of 2022 and why? Ooh. Okay, when I ask my last question, I've, I'm going to be like, now I know how you feel with my last question because this is a big one. It's going to like, it's defining the year. Um, and maybe, maybe you change it later. Yeah, but maybe. Like, right in, the, in this moment, like what's something that kind of comes to mind? Um, that could be like a theme. That's how I think of the word. Like, what's the theme that you want to like uh, embrace? Yeah, doesn't necessarily need to be something you want to achieve, but like 
the energy of your 2022 that you kind of want to call in. Okay. Uh, can it be two words? Cause it's going to kind of just go yes. together. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I kind of want ripple effect to be the words of 2022. I like that. The reason for that is maybe kind of how I ended things in 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, I, they didn't go how I wanted them to go. We'll just, we'll just say that. But if I were to undo the things that have happened, that happened, that got me to that point, let's, it was all at the, the center of something and it turned into a ripple effect. Mm. So I think as I go into 2022, I need to, before I do anything, before I say anything, before I react to anything, have that initial like, okay, what is that ripple effect going to look like? Do yeah. I want it? How do I want it to go? And you can't control everything, right? but you can start the ripple effect. And so I want that to be positive on most, you know, in 99% of the occasions. And so I think ripple effect is, is the, the two words for 2020. I love it. That's, a, Thank that's you. amazing. Thank you. I had like a, a beautiful like visualization happening while you're explaining. <laughs> I did too. I was like, okay, yeah, this is what I'm saying makes a little bit of sense, you know? Yeah. I, I like that you said that, you know, everything's truly out of your control but you you can start the ripple and so i think just kind of like now having a conversation on that because i think it's actually a really interesting idea but yeah you get to decide you can decide the intention of the ripple you know it's beginning and so decide if it's positive or negative or you know decide how the general direction how you want things to go i think and that's really beautiful yeah, I mean, if we really want to get metaphorically, right? Like, you never know when the ripple's going to end. You don't know, like, how many ripples it's going to be. You don't know. You know what I mean? So yeah. I, I guess, yeah, it works out there. <laughs> <laughs> but so, Jordan, we do have one final question that we ask all of our guests. And I always tread lightly when I ask authors this question because I don't want you to think, like, I don't know if you have written this or not. Like, I, you know, if you've written this, like, obviously I wouldn't ask it. But at the when it's all said and done, at the end of everything, and you you have plenty more to do and plenty more to give to society. If you were to write your autobiography today, what would be the title of it and why? Mm, this is a good question. <laughs> I kind of have like an idea in my head. I'm just trying to articulate it into something yeah, that yeah. would be like worthy. Um, Maybe like, like I chose me. Ooh, I like that. And I, and I say that because I've always put my, just like what I, what I envision for my life and the, and what I want it to kind of the life I wanted to design. I've made sure that I was always making decisions to, to design the life that I wanted. And so I chose me um, means kind of like, you know, by choosing, you know, what I wanted to do, I was able to, to build this life that is, is at its essence and core is myself. I love and that. It's the truest representation of who I am. I love that. Wow. We ended this podcast with two pretty deep questions. <laughs> Go us for answering those, huh? <laughs> love it. Awesome. Jordan, well, I appreciate it so much for coming on today's show and, and sharing your story it's been an absolute blast i hope you've had just as much fun as i have and yeah, I hope for we sure. can definitely stay in touch i told you uh 
you deserve this shit is on its way. It should be at my doorstep on Monday, January 10th. So as soon as I'm done with this first book that I'm reading, I will be diving into that. (laughs) Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, Feels good to be back on a microphone right at the start of the year. So I'm happy to um, have been able to talk with you and yeah, let me know if you like the book and um, I'm excited to, you know, contribute to your, your, your 20 book goal. Absolutely. We'll definitely keep in touch. So a big thank you to Jordan Tarver for coming on this week's show and sharing more about his story, about his experience, and all the tips and tricks that he had about journaling. I did not expect that. I hope you guys got to take away something from that, but I know I definitely did. As I mentioned in the interview, Jordan's book, You Deserve This Shit, will be a part of my 20-book challenge here on this show. I will try and do a deep briefing or maybe a book report or book analysis or deep dive if you will of you deserve this shit for later in the show or later in the year when it does get finished it will get finished i promise the 20 books will get finished anyways that does it for this week's show be sure to go check out jordan on all things social media i'll leave links to all things jordan in the description of this week's podcast whether you're listening to us on apple podcasts on spotify be sure to rate us a five-star review so that we can be seen by new people and show them these exciting interviews i can't thank you guys enough for all the support you guys have shown this show it it goes leaps and bounds beyond what i ever expected this show to be so thank you guys so so much be sure to follow us on instagram at normal guy lazy eye where you can see clips from this week's interviews And I will see you all next week.